Hello there, faithful listener. You've tuned in to season seven of the Bible Explained podcast. So make sure to grab your cup of coffee because today we are going to be discussing the book of Acts. Welcome to the Bible Explained podcast, friends and faithful listeners. And hi, my name is Jen. I am the host of this podcast. And today we are going to be discussing a portion of scripture that I'm very excited about, actually, because I always love talking about idol worship. It's just a very fun topic for me. So we're going to be discussing the idol Artemis, Artemis of Ephesus or Diana of the Romans, depending on what version of scripture you read. Now, speaking of versions of scripture, go grab your favorite one. And while you're grabbing that, make sure to grab your cup of coffee or your cup of tea this morning as well. And let's go ahead and read Acts chapter 19, verses 21 through 41. I'll be reading out the W.E.B. Now, after these things had ended, Paul determined in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. Having sent into Macedonia two of those who served him, Timothy and Aristus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there arose no small disturbance concerning the way. For a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen, whom he gathered together with the workmen of like occupation and said, Sirs, you know that by this business we have our wealth. You see and hear that not at Ephesus alone, but almost throughout all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that there are no gods that are made with hands. Not only is there danger that this our trade come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be counted as nothing and her majesty destroyed, whom all of Asia and the world worships. When they heard this, they were filled with anger and they cried out, saying, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The whole city was filled with confusion, and they rushed with one accord into the theater, having seized Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel. When Paul wanted to enter into the people, the disciples didn't allow him. Certain also of the Asiarchs, being his friends, sent him and begged him not to venture into the theater. Some therefore cried one thing, and some another, for the assembly was in confusion. Most of them didn't know why they had come together. They brought Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward. Alexander beckoned with his hand, and he would have made a defense to the people. But when they perceived that he was a Jew, all with one voice, for a time of about two hours, they cried out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. When the town clerk had quieted the multitude, he said, You men of Ephesus, what man is there who doesn't know that the city of the Ephesians is temple keeper to the great goddess Artemis? and of the image which fell down from Zeus? Seeing then that these things can't be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here, who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen who are with him have a matter against anyone, the courts are open, and there are proconsuls. Let them press charges against one another. But if you seek anything about other matters, it will be settled in the regular assembly." For indeed, we are in danger of being accused concerning today's riot, there being no cause. Concerning it, we wouldn't be able to give an account of this commotion. When he had thus spoken, he dismissed the assembly. 
So Paul and his team are doing great work in Ephesus. They've been there for basically around two years at this point in time. And now Paul is itching to go to Jerusalem is what it says in verse 21. And then after going to Jerusalem, he wants to go up to Rome and do some work there. So Paul, it kind of seems like he just doesn't want to stay in one place. He's very, very passionate about mission work, about traveling around and doing as much good as he can, spreading the gospel and helping churches get planted and just strengthening whatever churches are, you know, in the areas that he's going to. So he he definitely has a passion for mission work and he's itching to get out of Ephesus. So in verse 21, it says that Paul is determined to go. So what he does is he sends out Timothy and Aristus, two of the guys that like served under him, to go ahead of him and he would follow along afterward. But for some reason, it doesn't say why. He ends up staying in Ephesus for a little while longer. And while all of this is taking place, this guy Demetrius, who was a uh, craftsman of Artemis, meaning he would make little itty bitty idols of Artemis and sell them. And that was his living. He is very mad because the Christian movement is growing in Ephesus. And because Christianity is growing in Ephesus, people are not buying his little statues. And that means he is losing money. So he gets super mad and he calls together all of these uh, craftsmen who do the same thing that he does, you know, make little idols and stuff like that. He calls them all together. And here's what it says in verses 24 through 27. A certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen, meaning he brought a lot of business to the craftsmen, whom he gathered together with the workmen of like occupation. And he said, sirs, you know that by this business, that is how we make money. And you see and hear that not at Ephesus alone, but almost throughout all of Asia, this Paul person has persuaded and turned away many people saying that there are no gods that are made with hands. So that is why Demetrius and these other craftsmen are so angry is because they're greedy. They want money based upon what they are doing. They want people to buy their little idols. So Demetrius is like, this Paul is going around proclaiming that there is no God out there that is made with human hands. And what's so ironic about that statement is how can something that is made with human hands be a God unless we ourselves are gods? Does that make sense? Like, for example, in my spare time, sometimes I like to sit down and draw or to paint and I've given this example before on the podcast, but when I'm finished with a drawing or a painting, I don't just start bowing down to it and worshiping it because I know that it's an inanimate object that has no power whatsoever. So what happens to the drawings or paintings is either they get thrown in my drawer and never looked at again, or they get hung on my wall if I think that it's good enough to hang. And that's all that happens to it. And then every once in a while, I'll pass by it and be like, oh, yeah, that's a nice painting. And then go about my day. I don't start worshiping it or sacrificing to it or saying that it has power at all because I know that it doesn't have any power whatsoever. So how could anybody think that what they create with their own hands has power unless 
you believe yourself so great to have power that somehow you're embedding into this object that you are making. So ultimately, idol worship is just self-worship. And honestly, guys, you know, just the way this Demetrius guy sounds, the way he's talking, he probably knows this. I mean, he goes through the entire process of making these silver idols to sell. He knows that they are nothing. (laughs) He knows that they are made with his own hands. And he doesn't care. And he doesn't care because that is how he makes his living. And he probably makes an extremely good living doing that. So it all boils back down to greed. So he tells the craftsman, he says, you know, this Paul is spreading this narrative that idols can't possibly be made with human hands. And he's he's spreading this throughout all of Asia, not just here in Ephesus, but also throughout all of Asia. He's persuading people of this Christian way. And we don't like this because we're, we're losing money. So he throws another little manipulation in at, in at the very end. In verse 27, not only is there danger that our trade will come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be counted as nothing and her majesty destroyed, whom all of Asia and the world worships. Actually, there's two manipulations in that sentence. The first manipulation is that because Paul is spreading Christianity, the great Artemis will eventually be counted as nothing. That's the first manipulation. Now, a very interesting and logical response to that would have been, well, if she's so great and she's so powerful, how could she possibly come to ruin? A long time ago, I was uh, doom scrolling through (laughs) social media, probably Instagram. And I remember seeing this post that somebody had put up on Instagram and it said, just wait, all these Christians are going to wake up in the afterlife and they're met by Anubis who sends them down to hell or something. It was something like that. And this post really affected me. (laughs) And to this day, I wish I would have commented on it. I did not comment on it. It was such a stupid post. And, you know, the person who posted it was like, gotcha, Christians. You know, it was like one of those gotcha posts. But here's the thing. If Anubis was so powerful, meaning he was the one who created heaven, he created all the things or whatever. You know, us Christians, we weren't worshiping Anubis and he's going to send us down to hell when we get up to heaven or whatever. If Anubis was that powerful, why can't he get anybody to worship him today? Like, seriously, if Anubis is that powerful, why has he been forgotten to history? Why isn't he everywhere? Because if he wants to be worshipped and he's that powerful, certainly he would get people to worship him. But we don't even remember who he is. Like when we think of Anubis, when I think of Anubis, I think of that weird little black dog thing. And probably the majority of people don't even know who Anubis is. Okay, so that's the thing that Demetrius is trying to say here. He's like doing this whole thing where he's like, Artemis is so powerful. But, you know, this Christian movement might make her less powerful or something like that. Well, if she's so powerful, why can't she get people to worship her? If she's so powerful, how could she possibly be forgotten about? Because she's not powerful and Demetrius knows this. So that's the first manipulation that Demetrius gives. And then the second manipulation is this little last part that says, 
Artemis is the one whom all of Asia and the world worships. And that is a very, very, very big manipulation that a lot of people fall for. When everybody does something, it's very hard not to follow suit a lot of times. That's why styles come and go. And, you know, people are like fighting each other over Stanley Cups. (laughs) And like everybody's getting labradoodles now because they're the popular dog and you know it's with when something is popular everybody else wants to do it It is human nature it's like this keeping up with the joneses thing and don't get me wrong i've fallen into many fads over the years (laughs) i i certainly have but when everybody is doing something it's hard not to do that thing And that is the manipulation here. You know, all of the world worships Artemis. So certainly that's the popular thing to do. And we have to preserve that. We have to make sure that the whole world keeps on serving Artemis. So after all of this, it says the craftsmen were filled with anger and they started crying out and they were saying, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Then the whole city was filled with confusion. (laughs) And they rushed into the theater and they seized Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel. So suddenly, after all these craftsmen of Ephesus start crying, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, the entire city hears it. And they're like up in arms. They're just, they're just like, oh, my gosh, something is happening. And there was a great confusion is in the city is what it says. And so they grabbed Gaius and they also grabbed Aristarchus, two Christian men who were companions of Paul and took them into the theater. Okay. And nobody knew why they were in the theater. They just knew that they needed to be in the theater because everybody else was in the theater. (laughs) Remember that fad thing I was telling you about? Everybody follows each other. So Paul was one of the people who actually was not in the theater. And he hears the commotion going on outside And Paul actually, I think, gets kind of scared for Gaius and Aristarchus, who are in this like mob in the theater. And so Paul, who has a death wish all the time, tries to go into the theater. But the disciples that are in Ephesus force literally force him not to go in. They're like, you're not going in to this theater. And so they pull Paul back out. And Paul is not allowed to enter the theater because honestly, the the mob probably would have ripped him to shreds at this point in time. But what I do find so funny about Paul is he truly does have a death wish, it feels like, in some circumstances. He's very bold. And you're going to see a couple more stories in Acts where Paul is extremely bold and unafraid of death. And this is one of those times he was willing to go into a riot, a riot which was basically about the gospel message that Paul was kind of leading the charge of in Ephesus And Paul's like, yeah, I'm going to go walk into this riot that (laughs) these people want to tear me to shreds. So they don't let him go in. And now what happens is the entire assembly was in confusion is what it says. They didn't know why they were why they were in there. And so they brought Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward. And Alexander beckoned with his hand and would have made a defense to the people. Now, Alexander was not a Christian because it says that he was associated with the Jews. So he was a Jewish man who could have been actually a person who gave Paul a lot of problems because there was an Alexander that Paul actually talks about who did him great harm. And it could have been this Alexander. But anyway, they bring Alexander up to the front of the crowd 
And Alexander is going to speak on behalf of the Jews to tell the crowd, yeah, we Jews, we don't like Paul either. But he doesn't even get the chance to speak because <laughs> the rest of the, the people who see Alexander, they recognize him as a Jew, most likely because of the way he was dressed. They start screaming and drowning out Alexander. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And they scream this for two solid hours. The people of Ephesus didn't like the Jews either, even though even though the Jews didn't like Paul and the Ephesians who worshipped Artemis also didn't like Paul. The Ephesians who worshipped Artemis also didn't like the Jews because the Jews didn't like Artemis. So who was Artemis? Artemis was the daughter of Zeus, according to legend. She was also the sister of Apollo. And Artemis, if you look her up, I, I found this, uh, this website called EphesusTurkey.com, which talks about Artemis. And here's what it says about Artemis. It says, in Ephesus, Artemis was seen less as a huntress and more in her role as a fertility goddess. She was co closely identified with Siebel, the mother goddess of eastern lands. The cult statues in Ephesus are quite different from the statues in Greece. The Ephesian Artemis shows an Eastern style woman with sacred animals on her skirt, numerous breasts and eggs or bull testicles surrounding her. On her head was a crescent showing her to be a moon goddess and she was crowned with her own temple to show that she herself protected the sacred space. Yeah, so, okay. The one thing... I thought of when I read this description of Artemis, I was like, why is it that every god or goddess that I've talked about on this podcast in the past, why is it that they're always associated with sexual imagery? Why? Because I'm literally looking at a picture of Artemis right now, what she most likely looked like. And, and she's literally wearing, okay, a necklace of eggs and not like chicken eggs. These are like little eggs, okay? And then on top of that, she's got this crown of like bulls or something on her head that all have human breasts on them. Okay, super weird. And then underneath the egg necklace, she's got like a ton of breasts like all over the place. And it's like, why is it always associated with sexuality? Because we've, we've talked about multiple gods and goddesses before in the past. And there's always so much sex associated with these idols, always. For example, the Asherah poles that are talked about in the Old Testament, they were literally phalluses that, that these people would erect and worship. That's what they were. They were wooden phallic objects. And then on top of that, Zeus was associated with literally sleeping with everybody. Same as Baal, which Zeus and Baal are the same God, but it's always sexual. It always goes back to sex. That is what people are worshiping. Because remember how I told you at the beginning of this episode that if you make a God or goddess and you assign it value, because that's what you have to do in order to worship it. It's really just self-worship. And sex is a vice that a lot of people worship. You can see that now and through 
throughout all of history. So to conclude, these people are, are screaming, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So what ends up happening is the town clerk, or basically the mayor of Ephesus, he gets up and he finally addresses the people after two hours of this going on, basically turning into a riot. And so the town clerk says to the people, you men of Ephesus, we know that Artemis really is great. She's the keeper of the great temple, which, by the way, that was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world was Artemis's temple found in Ephesus, which was unburied in the late 1800s. And it was lost for a very long time before that. But the town clerk is like, Artemis is great. She's got her own temple. She, you know, she's worshipped throughout all the world. And so since she's worshipped, there's no need for this riot is basically what he says. He says, don't do anything rash for these men here, these Christians, whoever they are, they don't rob temples. They aren't blasphemers of Artemis. And then he says in verse 38, if therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen who are with them have a matter against anyone, the courts are open and there are pro councils. Let them press charges against one another. So he's basically like, look, Demetrius and all of you craftsmen of Artemis, if you have a problem, do it the civil way and don't start a riot. And then he says at the very end, we are in danger of being accused because of today's riot, because don't forget Rome was everywhere and Rome did not like riots. <laughs> and so uh, the town clerk is like, we're very much in danger here because of this riot that is taking place. If we are asked about this riot, I do not know what to say because technically there's no need, nor was there any reason to start this riot. So if you don't want to get in trouble, I suggest you leave is basically what the town clerk says. And after that, everybody gets dismissed. And it's like the entire thing didn't happen. Everybody just goes home. Nope. Charges were pressed that we know of. Demetrius goes home angrily. And Paul and the disciples all go home. Nobody was hurt. But what this portion shows us is that there are many people out there who do not like Christianity, first and foremost, because it teaches against the worship of self. However, we do know that God will take care of us just as he took care of the Christians here that were being rioted against. He even took care of them when Alexander the Jew was going up to try to cause more problems against the church. God even quelled that problem. He didn't allow Alexander to be heard. Even though the people were screaming, great is Artemis, God worked it all out so that the Christians could go home safely and that the gospel could continue to get spread in Ephesus, even though there are many people, including Demetrius and others, who did not like that. Okay, faithful listeners, this was a little bit of a longer episode, so I will see you all tomorrow. I hope that you uh, tune in for an episode out of 1 Samuel. We're going to talk about Saul being officially crowned king of all of Israel and just more shenanigans that uh, Israel gets into in the book of first Samuel guys. I'll see you tomorrow 6am or whenever you choose to wake up. Happy listening and God bless. <laughs>